Welcome to the Biblical Eldership Podcast, where we are going to look at every chapter of the new and revised Biblical Eldership. Alex, thanks for doing this. This is going to be quite a project. And I'm glad you're doing it with me. For those who don't know, uh, Dave and I have worked together for 25 years, and he is a wonderful Bible teacher, an exegete, and uh, I'm so glad to be a part with him. This is going to be a fun project. It's going to be a behemoth. We're going to look at your your new book has 30 chapters. Is that right? That's right. So we're going to. I don't want to scare people. Right, right. (laughs) The plan, though, is to go through every chapter, including the introduction, which is kind of its its own uh, chapter in itself, uh, but to just uh, look at each one and maybe while folks are driving um, or uh, at home or wherever, they're able to, to sort of consume the material in an, in an additional way. So that's the, that's the plan. That's the purpose behind this project. But let's start with just tell us a little history of biblical eldership. When did you first write it? Well, uh, it came out in uh, 1986, so it's almost 35 years of age. And I wrote it because I didn't find much material on this subject from a Bible exposition uh, viewpoint. I had I'd seen books that were basically representing a certain denomination. But when I actually first read this, there wasn't very much material on this. Now there's a great interest really worldwide in eldership and plurality. How many revisions of the book have you had? Well, I had one major revision in 1995. There was a short little revision straightening some things up earlier. But a major uh, edition was in 95. And this is the second a major edition, and I would have to say it's a complete, um, in many ways, a new book. It's a different, different book. Yeah. yeah. Why did you decide to revise the book now? Well, it's a textbook used by thousands of churches worldwide in uh, over twenty languages. And when you have a textbook, if you don't keep it up to date, it goes out of uh, existence very easily. Also, since '95. Um, many excellent commentaries have um, been produced on the pastoral epistles. So when I first wrote this, there were not a lot of commentaries. So we have some of our world's greatest uh, exegetes who have now gone through this, and I this material needed to be in here. Also, I have more practical material in it, and um, I feel I address what I now know are some of the key issues that people have with this subject or have a hard time understanding. Explain to us how, how an elder should use this book. Yes, this is a textbook. And so what would be best is use this with a mentor in a group. So for example, David, at our church, you every year have a biblical eldership class. What is it, about 12 weeks? Yeah, about 12 weeks. 12 weeks, and you take a group of men through the biblical eldership book. That's really the best way to get the most out of this book. But a lot of people don't like to read a big book. It's a 360-page book. So we have a, a condensed version, which is only about 60 pages, gets the whole book wrapped up in one book. And uh, we also have it on audio, and it's well done on audio. And then we have these podcasts, and then we do have our website. So there's different ways to come at this. Yeah, you alluded to this, but there's a a companion workbook that uh, churches can go through as a study uh, together. Um, That yeah, like you mentioned, we do that every year. That's that's I think by far the best way to to use this book. And we've had men; they're not going to be elders, uh, but they come back every year. They love the study. 
and to be with a group of right. men and study biblical eldership yeah. because it applies to everyone. Right. You want to be a godly husband, a godly father, self-controlled. I mean, this know is the a, Bible. It's a great study. Um, One more thing, David. Um, we also have provided a teacher's guide, the answers. And the reason we did this, we found out over the years, people can have a study guide, but they all conclude on the wrong answers. Right. So we give the teacher the right answers right from the book. One last thing is tell us about biblical eldership resources. You and I work on this together. There's another group of men who, who help with this. But just explain what biblical eldership resources is. Well, it's the cover title for our uh, podcast here, uh, for the literature we have put out, which, by the way, uh, we are working presently in 45 languages. Uh, taking all of the literature, not just the biblical eldership book, but the deacon's book, uh, the books on Christian uh, love. And uh, so that's a major part of it. Then we have a, um, a website with School of the Shepherds, which is an actual school curriculum for training biblical elders. Right. We've got hundreds of videos for those interested on just what is eldership, how does one transition uh, to an elder, a true biblical eldership. Yeah. So lots and lots of resources. And, and for we're folks. always working on that website. We're constantly improving it, right. subtracting, adding, whatever we need to do. Right. Biblicaleldership.com. All right, let's talk about introduction. Uh, those who are who've just read the intro to this book, let's start with this. I would say a major, major point that you make in the book: the difference between board elders and shepherd elders. Explain what you mean by that. Yes, um, I tell a story how I came into this church uh, for a concert, and as soon as we walked into this church, it was like a pyramid with the senior pastor at the top, his associate pastors right underneath them, then a next, another group of pastors, and then it branched out into the base. And I looked at that and said, well, Jesus reversed that pyramid. But anyway, I went into the church and went down one of the side halls, and here I saw a plaque with the pictures of the elders. And I thought, what a great illustration. The elders are the board members. They're down the hall. They don't really have that much involvement with the people. It's the pastor and his staff that really uh, minister to people. So I thought that's a great illustration. The average person, when they hear of elders, to them, they're board elders. Right. They're the board of directors. Right, right. Uh, they're the people who are policy makers, fundraisers, decision makers, advisors to the pastor. They're laymen. They serve temporarily. That's exactly the opposite of what the New Testament teaches. In the New Testament, the elders have been called to pastor the people, shepherd the people. And so it's... Uh, it's, it's a concept difficult for people to get when they're used to the professional, uh, ordained people running the church and the elders as uh, caretakers. Yeah, you mentioned at the top of page 12 that the purpose of the book is to help restore and accurately articulate the biblical doctrine of eldership as shared pastoral leadership by a team of scripturally qualified, spirit-placed elders. Yes, every one of those ter terms are important. This is different than a board elder. One, one of the interesting hallmarks of this book is is the exposition. I know you. I've heard you say this over the years, uh, literally decades, uh, that the secret to this book is that it's exposition. You're just going through biblical passages. Can you right. comment on what? Yes, right at the very, very dawn of this uh, project, when I was thinking of doing this, 
I said, I'm going to make it a Bible exposition. Take the reader through every single passage on eldership and carefully, honestly, fairly uh, interpret the passage. Let the passage do the speaking. I tried to leave myself out, what we do in our church, I've left that out, and just focus on the scriptures. If the scripture doesn't uh, convince people what a biblical eldership is, and that's the goal of this book, look at the title, Biblical Eldership. Well, then you have to do Bible exposition. But I feel this newer edition is a much better exposition of the passages. So talk about the, you know, it is a biblical doctrine. You get this great quote from Alec uh, Motyer. Uh, and then you get into the pattern of uh, plural elders among first churches, instruction about elders given to the churches. Let me just read that quote from Motyer, though, that kind of sets the stage. Uh, he says, from the very earliest apostolic times, it was customary to appoint elders in every church. It is not as much as hinted in the New Testament that the church would ever need or indeed should ever want or tolerate any other local leadership than that of the eldership group. And then you go on to kind of elaborate uh, on that, but this sets the stage for, for the rest of the book. Uh, talk about just the briefly, and and you summarize this in the introduction. But uh, starting with the pattern of plural elders among the first churches, and on. Yes, it's a thoroughly biblical doctrine, right. thoroughly biblical. And if you will look at the table of contents, you will be shocked. I guarantee you, all the scripture passages on this subject will be shocking to you. And uh, so, what you're saying is, this is biblical. Right. Uh, so you give a summary of yeah the pattern of plural elders. You just kind of uh, highlight these passages in staccato form. Instruction about elders given to the churches. Instruction and exhortation given directly to elders. Just to show real briefly how pervasive this is. This isn't just like a one-off comment. This is this is pervasive in the New Testament. It's an amazing amount of material. Actually, there's more material on the church elders than the Lord's Supper or spiritual gifts or uh, Sabbath keeping or Sunday. So really, it's not uh, a silent subject. Let's talk about the three key features of a biblical eldership that you mentioned in the intro. First one is pastoral leadership by elders. Could you just comment on what you mean by that? Yes, uh, what I mean by that is that the main thesis is that eldership is pastoral work. It, the imagery of the shepherd and the sheep is uh, all through this. Uh, let me just very quickly refer to two passages that I would hope our listeners will know inside out and upside down, and they would memorize it, Acts 20, 28, this is what we call the didactic passage, a central passage. It's a very clear passage. And as we will talk about in a moment, David, the importance of allowing the clear, central passages to determine the obscure and the incidental. So Paul says this, and remember, it's a face-to-face -face meeting with the Ephesian elders where he labored for three years. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. Show you how important this body of people are, which he obtained with his own blood, with the blood of his own one. 
uh, there's a very clear passage that the elders are the overseers of the church and the Holy Spirit has placed them there for the express purpose, it's a purpose infinitive, shepherd the church of God. So a biblical eldership is a shepherd leadership. Uh, you quote in there uh, Timothy Whitmer's great book, The Shepherd Leader. Yeah, that's a wonderful quote. Why don't you give that yeah. quote? He says, you will see that shepherding is at the very heart of the biblical picture of leadership. That's a great quote. You know, it's so contra how, how again, and you start with this, how, how people think of, of eldership as board elders. Yeah, they sit on a board. They think of some tech company, some executive type position, but it's shepherding, shepherding yes. the flock. The pastoral imagery uh, is paramount. Yes, and that imagery is all through the Old Testament. So someone who knows the Old Testament comes to the New Testament, they capture right away. Right. This is governance. This right. is oversight. Right. Uh, uh, Dave, I want to just uh, point up on page uh, 15 um, uh, this quotation. Since the two most prominent apostles, Paul and Peter, charged the elders and no other person or group to shepherd God's flock, we can conclude that in biblical terms, the elders are responsible for the pastoral oversight of the individual flock of God as assigned to them. 1 Peter 5.3. So you have Paul, you have Peter directly addressing the elders, giving them the charge, shepherd God's people. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. It's it's shepherd leadership. Uh, the second thing you mentioned is is shared leadership by the elders. Just comment on this. Yes. Well, shared leadership is not a new doctrine. We see it in the Old Testament with the elders. We see it with Jesus Christ, our Lord. He did not appoint one man to run the church. That's a very interesting point. He chose twelve men, and there's parity. Among these 12 apostles, equality, they're all brothers. They're all apostles. No one's a lesser apostle. Now, within that, of course, there is difference in giftedness. Certainly, Peter was the mouthpiece, as Christostom said. He's the natural leader and speaker. But they're all equally apostles. So Jesus Christ gave his church shared joint leadership. And then the apostles in fact, my study of the, this doctrine started back in the, actually, the 70s. And the verse that really started me thinking about this, and we'll give some time to it later, was Acts 14.23. This is sort of my starting point that put uh, uh, the thought in my head. And when they had appointed elders, Paul and Barnabas, on the first missionary journey, for them in every church... With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. There we have um, a description of the first church planning apostles. And what do they do? They appoint elders in every church. That, that actually started me on this study. I wondered why didn't they appoint a, one person or the arch leader of the church? You've got this great quote from John Murray, one of the uh, founding professors of Westminster, uh, and he says, plurality is written in the boldest letters in the pages of the New Testament, and singularity 
bears the hallmark of, despite to, Christ's institution. Comment on that quote. Oh, there's going to be more about this later. Um, He's saying just what we've said, that plurality of leadership is in the boldest letters in the pages of the New Testament. And when you go to the single pastor model, well, you're basically rejecting Christ's institution. That's what he's saying. It's contra. And that's what we're saying in this very section, that this is not a secret doctrine. Um, It's something that's clearly laid out in the different books of the New Testament. Now, within the category of shared leadership, and again, I know this this is all intro into what comes later, but... Uh, You mentioned here equality and functional diversity, and you just alluded to it just a second ago, but just briefly comment on that because this is a a huge part of the book. There is equality and there is a functional diversity. So just briefly mention that. Yes. Well, we have it really illustrated for us in the 12 apostles. There are 12 apostles. All all 12 are apostles. Right. And uh, they're all listed as apostles. But among the 12 apostles, Peter, James, and John stand out as leaders among the leaders. And among those three, Peter stands out as the prominent speaker, the initiator, leader among them. The same thing is true in eldership. We see that in 1 Timothy uh, 5.17, the elders who are laboring among you in word and doctrine. Right. So what you have in a plurality of leaders is among the leaders, you have difference in giftedness, time availability, uh, creativeness, knowledge, and that should be acknowledged. Right. So every eldership has equality, and you have diversity of function based on gift and calling by God. A third key feature you mentioned is that it's qualified leadership. Not not everybody can can serve in this capacity. It has to be qualified. Uh, so just briefly talk about that. Yes, the New Testament is unequivocally emphatic about this point. In First Peter, First Timothy three, Titus one, First Peter five, we have qualifications listed. And we need to take those seriously because there's a divine mind behind those qualifications. Every qualification has a reason for why it's there. And when you put all the qualifications together, then you know the kind of person that God wants to lead his people, care for his people. I I literally think this is one of the most important parts of the entire book, is that the Apostle Paul uh, highlights and emphasizes character over giftedness. Character is our currency. You lose that, you lose everything. And so the importance of having having uh, character in the leaders. Uh, huge, huge point that so many people uh, forget or ignore. Uh, God cares deeply. The amount of ink spilled on this particular subject, he cares deeply. And I, you, you mentioned this, that one major mistake, and I'm sure every church, every elder who's listening to this could cite an example or resonate with it on some level, but one common mistake is for churches to to bypass these qualifications. There's a super gifted person, charismatic type leader. Uh, let's make that person an elder, and they're not actually qualified, and they the church ends up reaping the consequences of that. Uh, well, well, David, if you put these together, you realize 
that God's interested in your marriage and how you raise your children, in your personal self-control, your respectability in the community, and the ability to teach scripture. So when you put them all together, you're actually going to get a, a picture of what an elder should be and what you should be looking for. The chapter closes with putting things into perspective, and uh, you you offer some other views. I think you offer five different views. I'm gonna I'm gonna read them, and uh, and then you can comment on these other views. But but biblical eldership uh, is not the only um, example. Of course, we're arguing for this is what the scripture teaches. But other churches have different different polities. Let me read them. Uh, and you quote, you know, perspectives on church government, five views of, of church polity. Uh, but these five views are the single elder led church, the Bible's witness to a congregational singer, single elder led polity. Number two is the uh, Presbytery led church, Presbyterian church government. Third being the congregation led church, congregational polity. Uh, fourth is the bishop-led church, the Episcopal or Anglican polity affirmed, weighed, and defended. And then number five, the plural elder-led church, sufficient as established the plurality of elders as Christ's ordained means of church governance. Any, any comments on these other views? Well, this comes from a very good book called Perspectives on Church Government, Five Views of Church Polity by Brand and Norman. Uh, it's an excellent book. Uh, the way they lay this out. Here's what I find very interesting. Of these polities, really the plural elder-led church is the only one that has really foundation in the Bible, in the scriptures. As we will see as we go throughout this, the bishop-led church is actually the most frequent. It's what you see in the Episcopal, the Anglican, the Roman Catholic, um, the Orthodox, all these churches use the bishop-led model, but they will admit, frankly, it doesn't come from the, uh, the Bible. It comes from uh, the second to the fifth century, and they believe the Holy Spirit developed this model. We would say, no, uh, that actually was a, a departure from the biblical teaching, which is the simple elder council that rules and leads at a local church. So I would say that... Uh, the plural elder-led model is, without any question, as we will see, uh, the one that is clearly laid out in the Bible. It's almost like it's it's the New Testament equivalent of Leviticus, which gives all these details about worship and, mm -hmm. and uh, organization. And, and I've heard people say, wow, the Bible doesn't really speak much about eldership in the new testament well it's that's not true as we'll see it gives very detailed instructions on how the church is to be led and qualifications well as we close this chapter here i want to remind you i really emphasize and i'll emphasize again the eight core passages that directly address the position the duties the authority of a church elder and those are acts 14 23 acts 20 17 to 38, long passage, Philippians 1, 1, 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 25, 
Titus 1, 5 to 9, James 5, 14 to 15, 1 Peter 5, uh, 1 to 5. That's not all the verses on it. Those are the core passages. None of these other four views have eight core passages like this. Right. Uh, Alex, you closed the chapter with uh, the story of attending seminary. Why don't you just tell that yes. story again? Yes. Uh, this confirmed that I should uh, write this book. When I was in seminary, I was in a Baptist seminary, and it was a good seminary, and I loved the professors, but it was very, very Baptistic. And uh, I remember a class on Baptist, uh, Baptist um, uh, polity, and uh, I, I loved the professor. He's with the Lord now. But he would go round with me, and I asked him one day, I said, Professor, what about all these passages on the elders shepherding the church, teaching the church, leading the church, stewards of God's house? So what about all those verses? He looks at me, and he goes, oh, that doesn't mean anything. And I thought, I didn't want to argue with him anymore. I thought, <laughs> what means something? Your clergy and laity? Not Nothing on that. Right. And uh, it was obvious in the school, um, they wanted the senior pastor with the deacons. That was their model. And they literally, literally were blind to all these other passages on the elders as the ones who shepherd the church. And I guess this is true of all of us. We, we become victims of our own history, what's comfortable to us, what we know. And uh, that's what many people find when they come to eldership. They just... Uh, they're not used to it. They haven't seen it work. Many people say it doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work if you don't believe in it. Right. Well, this is good. You gave us the foundation for the book and the introduction here. We'll look next uh, episode at the new principles for leadership taught by Jesus. But hopefully this gives uh, folks a, a good foundation, just a good overview in audio form of uh, what this book is all about. Thanks, Alex. And thank you, David. Biblical Eldership Resources is committed to equipping church elders to help them be effective, godly leaders of the church. Please consider donating to the ministry so that we can continue to provide essential eldership resources for church elders around the world. To donate, go to biblicaleldership.com.